Our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to John. So the 20th chapter, verses 1 through 18. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left to go to the tomb. They were running together, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and was the first to arrive at the tomb. Bending down to take a look, he saw the linen cloth <coughs> lying there, but he didn't go in. Following him, Simon Peter entered the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there. He also saw the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head. It wasn't with the other clothes, but was folded up in its own place. Then the other disciple, the one who arrived at the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They didn't yet understand the scripture that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. Mary stood outside near the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent down to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white, seated where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and one at the foot. The angels asked her, Woman, why are you crying? She replied, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. As soon as she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Thinking he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Don't hold on to me, for I haven't yet gone up to my father. Go to my brothers and sisters and tell them, I'm going up to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene left and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. Then she told them what he said to her. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think it's hard for us sometimes to, to fully appreciate just how devastated Mary and the others were at Jesus' death. You know, if you've been on the face of this earth for any length of time, you know sometimes that life turns on a dime. Palm Sunday, everything was wonderful. Everything was fantastic. Jesus was being hailed as Messiah. It was great. Thursday, he had a meal with his disciples in the upper room. And then Judas betrayed him. And he was arrested. And he was scourged. Kangaroo court condemns him to death. And he died on a cross on Friday. Jesus was, if you will, one of the, the fortunate ones being crucified. Jesus actually dies fairly quickly for a crucifixion. Quickly enough that they're able to lay him to rest on Friday. But the Jews tell, count their days from sundown to sundown and the Sabbath was coming. And the sun was going down. So the best they could do for Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come, and they appeal to Pilate to have Jesus' body to bury him. And that's really about all they can do. They get him in the tomb, they get the rock in front of the tomb, and that's it. 
have to wait. And they wait, and they wait. And they endure probably a couple of sleepless nights. And as soon as the light is beginning to dawn, Mary goes to the tomb. John wants us to understand not only is Mary going as early as possible, but she's also in the dark, but the light is coming. Mary doesn't understand what's going to happen. She sees, the, she gets to the tomb, sees the stone rolled away, and immediately thinks the worst has happened. How could things get any worse than Jesus being crucified? Someone stealing the body. Grave robberies were common in those days. So it, the idea that somebody would have stolen Jesus' body was not that far-fetched of an idea. And it's the first thing that Mary thinks of. So she runs back and tells the disciples that he's gone. And Peter and the beloved disciple, who church tradition tells us is John, Peter and John run to the tomb. John is younger, gets there first, but doesn't go in. He's on holy ground, and he waits and looks. Peter, never one to slow up, charges straight on into the tomb and looks around. And if that was a grave robbery, it was the strangest grave robbery he'd ever seen because the linen cloths, which would have been the most valuable thing buried with Jesus, are all there. And the cloth covering his face folded up and set off to the side all by itself. Jesus took the time when he was raised to fold his grave clothes, which I just think is the, the neatest thing. That, that Jesus had a little bit of a neat streak in him. Everything's folded up, everything's proper. And John comes in and takes a look around, and, and John tells us that he believes, but we're not really clear what it is that John believes. Because John also says that they didn't understand the scriptures yet, that Jesus would rise from the dead. And John and Peter, not knowing what else to do, head back to where they had been staying, probably the same upper room they were in Thursday night. Mary can't leave. Jesus saved her changed her life, and she can't leave. She looks into the tomb again. I, she, probably, she doesn't know what else to do. There, there, there's nothing to do now. There's no body to anoint, but she can't leave. And she sees angels, and they see her weeping, and they ask her why she's crying. And she tells them he's gone. They've taken him away, and I don't know where he is, and I don't know what to do. And before they answer her, she turns away from them, and she sees a man standing there. Now, we don't know if Jesus is disguised or if Mary is just so overcome with grief and so her eyes are so clouded with tears that she just doesn't realize who she's talking to. But she thinks it's the gardener. And Mary is so desperate that she's really not, you know she's not thinking clearly, because what she says to Jesus is, if, if you took his body away, if you'll just tell me where you put it, I'll go get him. Right, Mary, you're going to go get a grown man's dead body and bring it back to, the, to his tomb by yourself. It's not going to happen. But it doesn't have to. Because Mary is talking to Jesus and just doesn't realize it. And all of a sudden, she hears her name. Mary. 
like a hundred times before. And all of a sudden, the heavens open. And she realizes who she's talking to. It's Jesus. And apparently she tries to grab hold of him. And I, and I can't say as I blame her. And he says, no, 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 not yet. We can't stay here. You've got a job to do. And he sends her to go and tell the others that he has risen. The world has changed. Scott Hosey talks about the fact that when we're faced with new realities, that we have at least three options for how we're going to respond. And it's nearly certain that, that you'll opt for one of these three possibilities. First, you can stay bewildered. You can let the event knock you flat on your back and then stay there. Second, you can engage in world-class denial. You can look at the facts and ignore them. It's not happening. I'm not acknowledging it. I'm just going to stay in denial. Or third, you can, slowly perhaps, assimilate this new information. You may get knocked as flat on your back as the next person by this new realization, but eventually you pick yourself up. You embrace this new truth and then go through the long, sometimes painful process of reassessing life in the light of this new evidence. This is the Easter choice, he writes. When faced with the incredible proclamation that Jesus rose again from the dead, you can be agnostic and cynical by saying that you don't know what to make of this, but neither are you going to try. Who cares anyway? Or you can deny it. The whole thing is fiction, fantasy, a pious wish, but something that never really happened. Or you can move past the shock toward acceptance. But let me caution you, if you are going to accept the truth of bodily resurrection, you need to let it change you totally. That's the Easter choice. He continues, the problem for most of us is that we are not surprised enough by Easter to realize that we have a choice. Easter is a part of the background scenery of our lives. We've never been afraid of Easter, never been bewildered by it. Believing that Jesus rose again from the dead, for those of us who were raised in the church, becomes a little like believing the earth is round and it orbits the sun. Once upon a time, people didn't know that. They thought the earth was flat and the sun orbited the earth. It caused quite a stir when the view had to be revised. But that was a long time ago, and now we accept that picture of our solar system without much thought. Sure, the world is round and we orbit the sun, but what does that have to do with anything? It doesn't change what I have to do at work tomorrow, does it? Is that what Easter becomes for us? We believe it happened, but then we've always believed that. Even Easter has somehow become part of the routines of this world. So why would it have much of an effect on what we do tomorrow? Easter is no longer shocking for us. It surely does not make us reevaluate everything else we think we know. And anyway, we're not sure we want to have everything in our lives changed. Of course, if we can believe in the resurrection at all, it is a gift, of, excuse me, it is a gift of faith granted to us by the prior gift of grace. But if we have received that grace and accept the truth that gets proclaimed from every Christian pulpit in the world each Easter Sunday morning, then we have to know that this truth changes everything. This is not some fact that we can ponder just once every 12 months. 
This changes everything and on every day. This is the foundation of our faith. Paul tells the Corinthians truly, if the resurrection isn't real, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we are, above all people, most to be pitied. If it's not really real, what have we given our lives to? And yet we know that it's real. We see the change in the disciples, not on Easter Sunday. It takes time to assimilate what's happened, and it takes the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost before they really understand what's really happened. But this sets the wheel in motion. It gives them hope. It gives us hope. Evil and darkness and death are very, very real. But they don't get the last word. <clears throat> Jesus' death was a horrible thing for him and for his followers. But the reason that we can call it Good Friday is we know the great good that comes from it. Because he died, not just for those who were gathered there that day, but for you and for me <coughs> 2,000 years later. We don't have to be afraid of death. We live in a culture that is scared of growing old, that is scared to death of dying, and there's no reason for it. John Donne wrote of the impact of the resurrection upon humankind. He wrote, the resurrection is an enormous answer to the problem of death. The idea is that, Christian goes, is that the Christian goes with Christ through death to everlasting life. Death becomes an event, like birth, that is lived through. We don't go from life to death. We go from life through death to life eternal. And the good news is Christ has made that journey for us and goes all the way with us. We are never alone in that process. So we can look at the world around us and we can see the wars and we can see the terrorism and we can see the evil and we can know that we don't have to be afraid of those things. Because if we're not here tomorrow, we're with the Lord, and we'll be okay. But if we are here tomorrow, we've got a job to do. Jesus didn't tell Mary, go home and sit in your chair and wait for me. He told her, go and tell the others that I'm alive that I have risen from the dead. Go and tell the others what you know. People ask me sometimes, well, how, how, do you, how does this whole woman minister thing work? How, what, you know, what justification do you have in scripture for, for women being preachers? This is it, y'all. The first person to proclaim the gospel. the gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. The good news we proclaim is that Jesus has risen from the dead. First one to do it, commissioned by Jesus himself, was Mary Magdalene. And she does it. She goes and tells the others, I have seen the Lord. And the ball starts rolling. And the world starts changing. 
And we're still here 2,000 years later telling the world that there is another way. There is another answer. It's not all about power. It's not all about who's first. The first shall be last and the last shall be first and the dead shall rise again. I told y'all that we as, on Monday Thursday that we as Christians have one job. Jesus gives us a new commandment on Holy Thursday. He tells us that we are to love one another. That as God has loved us, we too then are to love one another. Our task on Easter is to love others by sharing the good news that Christ has risen. I want to close this morning with, th this is not my story. I found this, but it is my favorite, all-time favorite sermon illustration. A first-year student in a Catholic seminary was told by the dean that he should plan to preach the sermon in chapel the following day. He had never preached the sermon before. He was nervous and afraid. And he stayed up all night. But in the morning, he didn't have a sermon. He stood in the pulpit, looked at his classmates, and said, Do you know what I'm going to say? All of them shook their heads, no. And he said, neither do I. The service has ended. Go in peace. <laughs> the dean was not happy. I'll give you another chance tomorrow, and you had better have a sermon. Again, he stayed up all night, and again, he couldn't come up with a sermon. The next morning, he stood in the pulpit and asked, do you know what I am going to say? And everybody nods, yes. Then there is no reason to tell you, he said. The service has ended. Go in peace. <laughs> now the dean's angry. I'll give you one more chance. If you don't have a sermon tomorrow, you'll be asked to leave the seminary. Again, no sermon came. He stood in the pulpit the next day and asked, Do you know what I am going to say? Half the students nodded yes, and the other half shook their heads no. The student preacher announced, those who know, tell those who don't know. The service has ended. Go in peace. The seminary dean walked over to the student's shoulders. Walked over to the student, put his arm around the student's shoulders and said, Those who know, tell those who don't know. Today, the gospel has been proclaimed. That is the essence, y'all, of who we are and what we do as Christians. Those who know, tell those who don't know. We live in a world full of hurting people. And so I charge you on this Easter morning. Now you know. You've been told. It's been proclaimed. You know that Christ is risen. So go and tell the world that doesn't know that he is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah.